We all know dental school is hard, but being a dentist in the real world is even harder. And what about all those things they don't teach you in dental school, like how to talk to patients and when to buy a practice? New Dentist Boost Camp is here to help you. Easily download and watch 12 hours of valuable CE, giving you tools you will want to implement immediately to help with your day-to-day in the office and lessons that will help you through your entire dental career. Learn from Dr. Paul Goodman and top dental professionals. Gain confidence in crown preps, class 2 composites, root canals, and implants. Increase patient acceptance. Effectively communicate to your patients and your dental team. This beneficial course is $9.95, but because Dental Nachos loves to see happy dentists succeeding, they are offering new dentist boost camp to dental students for $3.95. Visit DentalNachos.com slash NDBC for more information and to purchase your discounted download of New Dentist Boost Camp. Watch it and re-watch it anytime. This will be an impactful reference tool that you can continue to learn from and use. Buy it today to help you find a good job, start paying your student loans back faster, and feel great about dentisting. That's what it's all about. Welcome to the Dental Amigos Podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are the Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here with you, Rob. Paul, it's always good to see you, and uh, welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos. So uh, today, on the snowy day in yeah. Philadelphia, it's just uh, uh, Amigo uh, show yeah. only. one on one. Yeah. yeah. It was, just the, it was just the NBA dunk competition. I always dreamed of wanting to win that. And, uh, this is uh, did not, a dream I did not realize, but... Was, you would beat me. You no, know, thanks. I appreciate it. We do a six-foot rim in Amigos dunk competition. So we're wrapping yeah. this up and then actually heading over to, uh, to Porto a little bit for uh, one of your uh, dentist uh, Yeah, looking events. forward to it. Getting dentists out, being normal to each other, talking face-to-face, face, not just on Facebook. That's my new catchphrase. So mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's meaningful, too. I mean, yeah, it's important to get off the island sometimes yeah. and see other people, right? Yeah, they just, it's uh, got the Mr. Rogers theme of uh, these are the people in your neighborhood, you know, locally. So I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for supporting us. Yeah. Uh, do you maybe play that song? Yeah, yeah. Time? It's a beautiful right. day in the neighborhood. Right. It's Mr. Rogers if they serve drinks, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what, what could be better? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so uh, today uh, we're going to talk about letters of intent in uh, practice transitions uh, we'll save uh, the LOI discussion, as they're referred to, uh, as far as leases for, for another show. So let's just drill down on, on some things that uh, I think our listeners would probably like to know. So I, I think it's an it's, it's a, uh, interesting discussion because it's something, another topic they don't talk about in dental school. And, you know, you are our uh, legal eagle. So what, what is the purpose of a letter of intent, Rob? Really, I mean, the letter of intent is supposed to be a non-binding agreement. We'll talk about what that means, or I should say a non-binding document yeah. uh, that lays out the material terms of the transaction. So it's the basis or the foundation to move to the next step 
in in a deal. So make sure that the seller and the buyer are on the same page as to the price, perhaps the allocation, some other things that we'll talk about too. And then if they are, then let's go ahead and start to work on and negotiate the actual agreements. And you, I know you do work for both sides, sellers and buyers, but uh, you know, but not at the same time. Not at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. Do, no yeah. Dual representation. No representation. Right. And I know you have um, probably more buyers. So. Where, you know, for our listeners, and I do, you know, uh, brokering, where is, are they coming to you in the process and asking about a letter of intent? Who's directed them and says, hey, Rob and your team, I've, have they looked at the practice already with or without a broker? Just tell me the starting part. part. <laughs> the whole gamut. Yes. Right? So sometimes there are people that we're working with already, and then we've been counseling them in the process leading up to the letter of intent. Uh, sometimes people tell us that they've negotiated three drafts of the letter of intent, uh, and they would like for me to look at the, the last, uh, the last draft before they sign it, which not surprisingly, that's not yeah, really right popular with the other side when yeah. all of a sudden a lawyer gets involved and starts adding So just things. so I can, so I can interject, so I can, I will translate that into dental speak for our dental listeners. That's like where, uh, if someone had done half a crown prep for you, that's like a sculpture there might be a perception that makes your job easier, but it actually makes your job much more difficult. You'd rather start from scratch. So you would like to start your crown prep from scratch as opposed to say, oh, hey, I did half of it for you. Or, no, maybe not even I did it. Yeah. Some, uh, somebody else did half of it. Could be the internet, right? Could right, be, right. You know, uh, what do you think of this? And it, it, uh, it's easier to start with, um, I've done zero skiing, but I'm assuming uh, it's like fresh, fresh snow, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so fresh powder, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I think a lot of times people misunderstand that, you know, the role that we play and that it's we can be much more effective if we're involved at the outset. And it's it's cheaper if we're involved at the outset. You know, it's always cheaper and faster for us to uh, start with our documents than to fix someone else's documents. And you know, sometimes we'll look at a a draft uh, letter of intent and no offense to transition brokers no, paul i won't take any um we just look at this and like tell the client like this it's going to just take us too much time to try to fix this let's just roll on to an asset purchase agreement if everybody likes the basics that are in here let's not spend a lot of time and money trying to fix this lousy yeah. letter of intent because the alternative is well let's just use ours and then right. everybody gets all up in arms like oh they've scrapped the letter of intent now they're going to use their own documents like the reason we're doing that is just it's a it's a faster path to get to where we need to get in the deal, which is the next step. With and one of the reasons that I encourage uh, buyers to work with uh, someone like you and your team is that, you know, it's the biggest decision they're going to make in their life. And I think when you're doing that, you know, I think of the movies where people were left at the altar. Runaway Bride, really dating myself, Julia Roberts. So people <laughs> were left at the altar. I thought it was so dramatic in my mind. I'm like... It bothered my mind because I said, how could they not have thought of this prior to getting to the altar, right? Like, right. But with practice deals, like you don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. And when they, when I have a buyer connect with you <clears throat> on a deal we're doing or not, I mean, it could be a deal they have, you know, I'm doing it being a buyer coach. They get to run through, uh, is this a good idea with you? I mean, meaning like, you know, just running through the letter of intent makes them verbalize right. to somebody else who's an objective party like you and your team. 
is this a good idea? And sometimes just verbalizing that may make them say, I'm sure you say, this is not a good idea. Now, right? or, or, or <laughs> taking it one step further, it makes them read it. I'm pretty convinced right. that there are a lot of people that have come to us and they've looked at letters of intent and drafts of them that have not read the letter of intent other than to look at the purchase price. And, and, and the other part about the non-binding part, and I've used this numerous times in my lectures on transitions, uh, I have a four-year-old Daphne who you know, and uh, whether I give her a binding or non-binding LOI to go get ice cream, it's <laughs> not, that's not the point, right? So analogy. yeah, the binding part, it's like, Dennis, but it's not binding. For it to be, I mean, we can dig into this. I know it's like a, a you know, a sign project, you know, for it to be binding and then unbind it and bind it again, it, it, you're not in a good scenario. So no. it, to me, as a, and I, you know, just so the listeners know, I play the part as buyer too, as a client of yours. And, and, and I know that, you know, it's, it's not about it being binding or not to get out of it. It's that you want to move forward with this deal and you're managing people's expectations right. and both your own and the sellers. So they're coming to you sometimes at all different points, it sounds like. Yeah. Ideally, they're coming in the beginning and talking it out with you. Uh, and this is one thing I po- point out is that dentists, you know, be invested in the process, not the outcome. And a lot of times when I bet you they, that someone has come to you with one that they want you to uh, finagle, they're pretty invested in buying that practice by then. And, yeah, and, sure. And, and that's sometimes not a good place to be mm-hmm. because you're emotionally invested. It, back to the leaving someone at the altar type of thing where you might want to say earlier, is this a good decision for me to make? And one of the things I tell my, you know, the buyers, whether it's buyer coaching or transitions is like, you know, this is a once decision. So, you know, make it a really good once decision. Right. And, you know, I think if you go through, it's great to dig into different practices, but do it in a way that's, like we've said, purpose purposeful. Um, so what are some of the things that come out in the letter of intent or, or walk us through some of the, the fundamentals of it? Well, let me, let me just answer, sure. kind of speak to that one point that you said. And, and, you know, I love the Daphne analogy. <laughs> Because it is really all about expectations. The worst scenario is where people come to us after they've signed the LOI. And they say, here, help us. We've only signed this non-binding LOI. And we look at the LOI and we're like, there's some stuff in here that's not cool that we need to change. And it's very hard to put the genie back in the bottle there, right? To unbuy the the ice cream promise, right? Uh, Because now all of a sudden somebody said, well, I didn't realize, and this is part about being invested, I didn't realize that uh, a two-year, three-mile non-compete isn't okay. Right, like, yeah. no, it's not. It's not okay. It's not okay to protect the goodwill that you're buying. Your lender is not going to make the loan on a, what, when you only have a two-year non-compete. And just because the broker said, hey, this is okay, go ahead and do it, doesn't mean that you should have done it. So now we have to try to fix that. Now, when that ends up in the agreement, uh, that we're going to try to make changes. It's like, whoa, yeah, changing a, the LOI. Yeah, right. You know, they're changing the deal. They're going back on their e- word. Even if you were, you know, it's just such a, it's a good, even if you were changing to something better. So even if I upgraded ice cream to a, a fancy pastry shop, Daphne would still possibly be disappointed because I changed it. So it goes with my, uh, one of my um, life mentors is Paul Rudd from Forgetting Sarah Marshall because he says to Jason Siegel, you know, do less when he's learning to surf. And I say to this buyer, say less. And I give them this out, you know, when they're asked by a broker or the other side's attorney or the seller about a question they don't know the answer to, say less is, that's a good question. I don't want to know that too. Let me check with my advisors. Sounds good, but let right. me check with them. So then you've said, not, you haven't said two miles, four miles, five miles. And, you know, from our listeners, Rob, who are uh, primarily dentists and, you know, my aunt, who I make listen to the show. No, I'm just joking. But, you know, my, <laughs> my they're dentists and they're very 
particular. I mean, we yeah. talk about numbers like five millimeter perio bracket versus six. I know that's not a joke <laughs> to you, but to a dentist, so that say less, especially to a seller who, you know, even just the the notion of telling a seller that they're going to have a restrictive covenant, it's hard for them to wrap their mind around it. Right. They know it's there. So just don't define it until you're ready to say what it is, because you might think, like you said, you think two miles in three years or three miles in two years is good. And you, as a, as a dentist and your attorney says to you, this is no good at all. Right. This is a problem for the mm-hmm. bank. There's a problem. And then you have a whole, and this is, a, I was going to say, Mary, I've done this with my own wife with Daphne, because she walks in and says, <laughs> I said, okay, you can have a treat. And, 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 uh, Mary comes running from the room. She already had two treats. I'm mad at her. And I said, okay, okay, you're right, right. I should, I yeah. should have said less. Yeah. I said, that's a good question, Daphne. Yeah. I'm going to check with my advisor. Mary. Right. Well, well, that's <laughs> it. And, and you kind of, you can, I wouldn't say hide behind that, but you should leverage that advice. I mean, where we tell people a lot of times when they want to, to speak directly with the other party, it's like, don't give yourself that stress. You don't need to do that because right. you're going to put yourself in a situation where somebody's looking you in the eye and saying, how many miles do you want? How many years? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you don't, you're not in the position to know what's appropriate. That's just one example because it's easy to, to illustrate. Yeah. There's a whole variety of them. And then you end up committing to something that you shouldn't commit to. I mean, it's just so much easier throughout the whole negotiation process to let your advisors and your representatives do the talking for you. Because in addition, Paul, it's a lot easier to the other side to hear it from the lawyer right. or see the Rob Montgomery's email than, you know, Dr. Smith, who is buying the practice. Because then all of a sudden it's about, it's a very personal thing that yes, hey, totally. he asked for this or he asked for that instead of it's his lawyer and it's not no, him. I mean, it, 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 learning words is so important. You know, your, your patient could say to you, can I get a refund on something? And I might, I might say to them, and you know, it, it, uh, George Costanz always said, it's not a lie if you believe it. And I say, you know, I'll check with my uh, accounting team and maybe my accounting team is just, you know, my patient care coordinator. I'll check with, you know, at these people and, and it puts you at an arm's length from the person you're having right. a relationship with. Right. And uh, in transitions, as we're talking about, you may be dentisting with this person for the next two or three years. Absolutely. And, and there's going to, just a uh, spoiler alert for people who are going to purchase practices and keep on sellers, somebody who's going to be, who's been working for 30 or 40 years, just as you would, under the best of scenarios when the transition happens, there's going to be some mild annoyances that come up. So mm-hmm. you want to be in the best scenario going into that. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, I have a... a awesome wife somehow she does remember some of the things i didn't do great uh, i'm like why don't you remember all the good things like i forgot about those but i do remember in 2011 you told me that was a stupid pair of shoes i'm like i don't think i said that right so dennis, heard that one before yeah, right? yeah. so dennis are similar so shoes look like um let's say rob that we get uh it is a good makes sense to buy the practice buyers moving along you're talking with them the LOI is being formulated, and uh, just to review, it's going to be things like restrictive covenant, purchase price. Uh, what are some other things that might go in that a dentist would want to be aware of as a buyer? Uh, contingencies, perhaps with <clears throat> with the lease. Okay. Another thing that's important if you're buying a PPO practice, uh, you want to, as a buyer, be credentialed as an in-network right. provider for uh, for all the insurance companies, ideally. You know uh, that the seller participates in a network prior to the uh, to the transaction closing. So the lease, and that's important because we've both dealt with scenarios where that's a lot more difficult because you're dealing with a party like an insurance company that doesn't operate on like do it tomorrow or the next day, and that that lease has the 
sellers start to tell you, because sometimes I know, and, and I actually think it's done just totally because then it could happen to me too. You sometimes sign up with insurance plans you're not even sure you signed up with. Right. You don't, you don't, they don't come in very often. You're not thinking about them. And then you say, oh, I, I forgot there's six other ones, spoiled guac PPO and queso this. And then mm-hmm. that at least starts them telling you what you're going to need to be aware of. And it, I mean, as we talked about, we've had on our podcast, the different no, different types of practice styles. It also really comes to the forefront of what kind of practice style you're purchasing, right. whether it's one with filled with PPOs, not that that's a bad thing, has zero insurance. That could be something that's frightening to some dentist and attractive to other other dentists. Um, so they that, do. Yeah. Go ahead, bud. Yeah. Well, that, and that's where it's important that all these deals are different. Right. Yeah. And I had a conversation with somebody a week ago that they just had this, you know, understanding or misunderstanding, I should say, that it doesn't matter. Just pull out the document. It's, right. you know, I can't. I, I don't know enough about the deal, you know, right. that and that's really knowing what to ask for and what should be in something or not in there mm-hmm. is is important. And you just don't get that off the Internet. I mean, it's also you, you this brings out what you said. And I think I've repurposed it into my own catchphrase that dental offices are people places, not pizza places. And you say you're not transitioning a gas station. You're right. transitioning. So these are all, this is the really the crux of the start of the people part. So they make, the LOIs formulated, submitted to the seller side. What do they usually do with it at that time? Yeah, ideally they would have their lawyer engaged at that point. And that lawyer would, uh, would start to negotiate the, uh, the LOI. You know, it, it's really, our style is not to over- negotiate those things because you still have the the next wave which yeah. is the documents that matter but it's important to touch on all the things that i think it's like uh on. we went to school not two different times i don't know if they will make our daughters do it but uh you had to make like an outline for your papers right and like I, I was when i made that i'm like i'm done i'm like oh geez now i gotta write the paper but it's kind of like a good outline because yeah. if there's something where you're you know your english teacher said this is never going to work and the hero can't be a nacho eater i'm like why not it seems like a good hero of the story but uh right. you know that seems like you can really uh, get some glowing nachos, glowing points where the, the seller might really push back. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you know, before you've invested time, energy, and, and money into it, how often and, are... And, and so, yeah, it's the framework, right? right? Yeah, you framework know, it, it is the framework. It's the outline of the deal. Yeah. And it's important to make sure that the seller and the buyer are on the same page. From the seller's point of view, it's, it's, it's key because nobody wants to fiddle around with somebody for, you know six weeks to find out that now we get to uh, the document stage and there's an expectation that the buyer has that the seller does not, does not have and now you just spend all this time and money to get nowhere. Yeah, right, exactly. And, and I think one of the things that I, and I've learned myself on both sides, broker, buyer, working with you guys is that, and I totally understand how our listeners are just think, that, think about this, the price is actually the most underwhelming part of it a lot of times. Oh, yeah. Because the buyer has the ability to, to modify the price based on financing throughout the process. While they wouldn't do it on purpose, there's still wiggle room with that if they can't get the right financing. And that there's things that are interesting enough, I think the price becomes a much more, like less complicated part as some of these other things like you talked about, like restrictive covenants and things that are feeling based. But I think the, from what I've seen from buyers is they think it's them like, you know, writing in $850,000 and that's the most important part. Yeah, well, <laughs> right. Well, it's it's just like anything. It's it's the thing that people everybody understands, right? right. So, you know, it's, it's the the number and whether you're talking about interest rate in a loan or uh, lease rental rate in a in a lease, 
it's uh, it's the easy thing to look at. And if you're not going to read anything else, you're going to look at that number. But there is a lot of other stuff that matters. And the other thing to be aware of and people need to be careful about is that these things should be non-binding, right. you know, uh, generally. I mean, I say non-binding to the extent that it doesn't obligate either party to proceed with the deal. Um, and sometimes we'll see, especially broker-prepared letters of intent, that it's sort of unclear whether or not this is binding or not and nobody wants to be in a situation where they're forced to proceed before you have definitive documents however there typically are certain provisions that are binding so what's the example of those confidentiality okay right so if you don't have a confidentiality agreement sometimes we'll have confidentiality language in the loi that says that you're not going to share information about the practice you're not going to talk about the purchase price all that stuff uh, the other thing are what are known as uh, exclusivity or no shop provision. So if you're a buyer and you sign this letter of intent, you want to know that if the deal is at $800,000, that the seller's not out there looking around right. for somebody to, to, to beat your offer, right? So that you have some period locked up uh, to, to try to get the asset purchase agreement and the other documents negotiated and signed. It is important. I mean, you've, you've, you've heard you and your team say that, you know, time kills all deals or kills a lot of deals. And that's why it, they, they, these deals have a mo- momentum to them. And I'm just glad we're sharing with our listeners what some of these most important points are, like rounding a baseball diamond, you know, mm-hmm. because I think sometimes, and I mean, I, I'm guilty of it myself prior to learning all the things from you and being a broker, you think like, okay, I'm going to make an offer in the practice and I'm going to have it soon, right? You know, right. it's like, don't get to take it home now. And uh, mm-hmm. I just think, you know, the dentist seeing how complex and complicated deals are under the, when they go smoothly, uh, let alone when there's challenges. And that just sets them up for that. The exclusivity portion that usually lasts for about how long? Would you yeah. Say? Uh, anywhere from generally like 30 to 60 days, you know, and, and, and it depends on the deal or how far along people are sometimes. So sometimes in an LOI, the way people set it up or the deal has kind of evolved, there's been no due diligence done at that yeah. point, and that's going to start. So sometimes that might you know, call for a longer period of time. But you know, we typically, you know, at least we, I like to see deals get reduced to writing an actual agreement sooner than later. Yeah, that's it. And it might could share with us and the listeners, and, and even even and I'm knowledgeable about it. But the bank financing. Let's say we're having this this. Uh, buyer, you know, Dr. Uh, Handsome Nacho wants to buy his first practice. And, uh, <laughs> or his third. Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, he is going to, and we'll use the, and we'll use the first because, you know, he's going to get, comes to you, you're doing the LOI, share worth finance. I know financing comes in at different points. You know, sometimes buyers will come to me with a letter and say, I've been approved for $2 million. And, and, and I know, yeah. I know <laughs> it's like, you know, I just want to come to my house and Daphne says she's going to give you a hundred bucks, Rob. It's not going to happen, right? right. Because she has $2 in a little wallet. Uh, so, I say that's good because it, you know I try to be nice to the buyer. It's good that you know you're not a giant red flag to the bank, but it doesn't mean two million dollars like you're on a shopping spree. Right. So, where tell us a little about the nuts and bolts of the financing part for a buyer of an eight hundred thousand dollar practice? Is it at the same time as the LOI between LOI and asset purchase agreement? It really depends. You know, I think it's good to have the relationship with the bank and quote unquote be pre-approved more or less from a credit standpoint. But I think, you know, to your point, a lot of times uh, and I had a conversation with somebody the other day that they didn't realize this, that, you know, you when you get approved for a practice loan, it's different than getting approved for a mortgage. When they right. say, hey, well, we trust you to buy a house that is worth, 
you know, a half a million dollars, you know, um, you don't get this sort of like blanket approval to go buy a practice, right. as you said, that so much of this is contingent on the strength of the cash flow of the seller, you know, provided you have a good credit right. score and you've got liquidity, right? So you've got some money in the bank and, uh, and you know, you've got the requisite amount of experience, then, then it's all about the seller. Um, so if, uh, you know, typically what the best scenario, I think, I'm curious to see what you think too, from a broker standpoint, is that the, the client has met with or has you know, one or several bankers or banks that yeah. are, you know, they have the relationship with, they know who they are, they're expecting the deal to yeah. come in, and you know, they, this, the process has already been started. Now it's a matter of looking at the seller's financials for underwriting purposes, as opposed to, okay, we signed this LOI. Who should I call? Yeah, right. No, so, so I, I live my life by uh, one rule, Rob. Uh, always be nachos. No, two rules. Uh, always be nachos and make people not get annoyed with me. And that's from patients, my family, my friends, sellers of praxis. So what I, you know, buyers uh, will be very enthusiastic about purchasing a practice. But just like if I said, hey, which banks have you talked to? And they say, which one should I? I'm going to start now. That's a good answer. They say, oh, I'm approved for this. So I can't disappoint the seller that I'm working for at the end if the person can't get financing, which, you know, kind of just infuses in from the side a little bit why, you know, DSOs sometimes have a leg up because mm-hmm. they just have mm-hmm. to ask themselves, self, can I give a million dollars? Okay, I right. can self. Right. And the buyers, you know, that if you want, like you gave a great lecture about, you know, you know, mimicking some of the things DSOs do to compete in a good way and, you know, having your financial house in order, not necessarily, you know, with working with the bank, it's, it's like doing the, your homework. And, uh, we have, sometimes I share with my team and my family, like I help other people do their jobs in the kindest way. So if we're at Elvez and the four Goodmans are there and two of them under five and they go to sit us next to two people on a date, I say to the nice hostess, they don't want to be sitting next to us. Right. Mm -hmm. I can, so I say, why don't you put us over here in the corner? Right. Right. So I will say to the, you know, sometimes you and I've worked on deals non-broker deals would just bring you, you know, a, I meet a, a young dentist buying, helping with coaching, bring them to you. And they're dealing with a seller where they need to know what to get from the seller. Right. Because sometimes that takes a whole month. The seller is sometimes totally, I don't know, bliss, just unaware of the documents and they trib and drab them out. Right. Like, you know, so it's a, um, it's, it's a twofold process and the broker when you that's that is i think one of the advantages of working with a broker seller based broker is that a lot of times they've gotten the things together on their side mm-hmm. for the buyer right and if you don't have them together you have to know what to get together for the bank right because the banks are busy too working on different deals and and uh my my part is to get them involved as early as possible with different banks talk to them i mean one of the things i think i could dis- dispel learning from you is all banks are created di- different. All the people that work for the banks are created different. There are people that you have to work with too and get to know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just like if anybody comes to Philadelphia and wants to go to Elvez and say, hey, I know Paul Goodman, the nacho guy, not so, that could actually get you some VIP treatment. You know, it could. It's, <laughs> not, I don't want to brag. And that's a lot of times with banks too because, yeah. you know, you, what if you they're working on six or seven other deals and you come up to them and say you want to work. It's the first time you've met them. So... Uh, for the buyers, I think it's important because it's free to work with the bank, mm-hmm. and there's no downside to it. No, and, uh, and a bank can also kind of give you an idea if there are going to be issues. You know, if, oh yeah, if a, you go in and they, you know, your credit score is not good, then they're going to say, hey, you're not going to be bankable. You're going to have to bring up your credit score, and then you know that can lead you to go 
figure out what you need to do to do that. Or you could say, you know, which is the classic example that we see from time to time, you know, if somebody thinks that they're doing, you know, what they need to do by paying down all their student right. debt and living in their parents' basement, and then they don't have enough money in the bank, enough cash in the bank for the bank to want to lend them the money to buy the practice, right. you know? So it's good to have those conversations early on and you go to the bank and they say, yeah, okay, we're looking at your financials uh, before we're looking at the seller, just looking at you as the buyer borrower. And uh, there's some things you're going to need to do right, here, yeah. you know, like, you know, put some more money in the bank, you know, don't pay down the, those loans as aggressively. Don't go buy that car. Don't take those vacations, you know, and they're going to help you to kind of head off problems before they arise. And it, it, it's such good good points and it's like you know if we have listeners all different types of listeners and i think this is a great episode for a first year dental student and a lot of people would say they don't need to worry about this but i think it's the same episode as uh one day you're going to have a six month old and you got to get him to sleep and even though if you're five years away from it it's going to be coming down the pike for you mm -hmm. and when you're there you're going to be glad you have thought about it and what we're talking about right now is a key part to every every dentist's life who wants to be a practice owner. Right. Everyone has to jump over this hurdle of submitting a letter of intent and being aware of, okay, this is what it means. It's not just about the price. It's about things that the uh, I want from the seller, seller wants from me. You know, uh, I know you guys do so much great work with helping young dentists and their associate contracts. Is there there's a discussion there about post transition employment? Yes, a general point, right? There should be, yeah. Yeah, you know, and if, if if and you know, we would typically want to see the details of that uh, of the compensation. You know, how many days a week does the uh, will the seller work? How they're being paid? And it's just like anything, you know, when you're talking about uh, you know expectations being aligned, you actually have to have the conversation right. about all those things to know that you are aligned. You know, it's the classic case where somebody says, yeah, we're on the same page. And the only thing they discussed was the purchase price, for right. example, yeah. right? And that there's going to be a deal. And so the more you get into those things and kind of deal with those issues at the LOI stage, you know, the less you know room there is to have to discuss those things at the uh, actual agreement stage. There's also, and we see it, because we deal with these deals a lot, and, and you see it, that the transition of a practice changes the mindset of two people, just like the birth of a child. So I always say that the seller is going to be like the grandparent, and the, you know, the buyer is now the new parent, and the practice is the child. And, you know, I was fortunate to have, uh, my dad was an amazing grand, grandparent, but, you know, you're not going to want to work the same way parents do, and you shouldn't have to. And meaning that in this way, it's like you're just very tired. You put in your time as the seller, mm -hmm. and the buyer's thinking he's going to help me with everything. But even if it was me and I sold my practice tomorrow, I would be very supportive. And just like my dad was supportive of me as a parent, new parent, but the hands-on nature falls to the parent and the new buyer, and they just have to be prepared. So is, is the seller going to be physically present? Or are they going to not be physically present? Uh, what are they going to do? Because I think even the seller doesn't realize they're the thing that changes in their mind when they're not the practice owner anymore. Sure. And it's not a bad thing. Right. It just is, it's not my thing anymore. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, hey, you go, you do do it. Oh, you know, like you, they'll coach you through a mess, but it's just sort of your mess now. I mean, you know, hygienist is fighting with the assistant and one of them is going to leave the, leave what should I do, seller? Says it's not my place. It it really isn't, you know. Yeah. So, I think that's just a you'll, the buyer gets a preview into the seller's personality during this early process, right? 
and you know, I actually was using this today, Rob, I use your line. Sometimes I give you credit, most of the time not. Um, but <laughs> uh, I said, and I remember this even when you helped me a lot years ago, was uh, when people start off unreasonable, they don't get more reasonable. Yeah. But I've never forgotten that. No, it's true. I mean, I mean this, this is the beginning. This is the dialogue, right? This is the outline of the conversation, right? Yeah. You know, these are the things you need to talk about. And if and sometimes it's like, it's easy. Everybody looks at it, cool, we're all on the same page. And sometimes it comes back and I'm like, whoa, that's not what I thought. You know, you're living through it too. It's like when people say, we have two young kids and you know, they, you'll be fine. Like, who are you? I'm 60, right? It's like, I haven't done that 20. You're still living through it of people. Right. Like, so, you know, it's like, I always say, what, how much money could people pay to f- get that feeling that you got a bad grade on a test? It's like, it's a good question because there's really no amount of money. A thousand bucks? No. It, it, so it's like when people say, oh, but the practice has such good financials, there's just so much more to it. And I've just learned it. The LOI portion just really starts that process. Mm-hmm. And, um, bef- and like you said, when we were talking with Jamie Amos, it's like, even in, even in this one example, you don't want to walk down to step nine and get left at the altar or leave someone at the altar. Right. When you could have found in step two, mm-hmm. they love camping. And if that was my wife, I'm like, I, you're a very nice person, but we're not going to be camping, right? <laughs> so it's like, that's me. I'm an, I can't have a camping dentist, right? But I love the outdoors. Jim Gaffigan, I'm a very indoorsy person. So, right, you know, right, it's like, right. and, and, and that's what I think is important. And I think what's, you know, cool with our themes is like, it doesn't mean that the person's a bad person. It doesn't mean I'm better. Yeah. It just means that these are relationships that are some of the most important you're ever going to have in your life. You know? Well, and and it's and to that point, it's important that you be realistic about that too. And a lot of times, people will, in the course of this dialogue and these negotiations or discussions, we're seeing red flags popping up, and they don't want to see those red yeah. flags. This is they're looking at that as this is just a formality to get to the next step. And sometimes it's important to take a step back and say, wait, wait a second, is this really going the direction that yeah. it should be going in? You know, and let's not just keep trying to force the thing, uh, you know, down the road. Uh, maybe I need to take a, a, a big step back and, and assess whether or not the person I'm buying this practice from is really aligned with my, you know, yeah. with, with what I'm looking to do here. Because you've, you've had, you know, many examples. I have two of, of post-sale significant problems, not disasters, but, you know, like we've talked about problems, with the stress level that the new owner has to deal with, mm-hmm. you know, acute acute uh, emergencies that they can't get out of sometimes, and they get through it. But you know, it's like it goes back to our our theme. It's like you know, the definition of success is you know not not failing, right? right. So it's like you know, that's just one of my least favorite pieces of advice I see on the Facebook groups. There says you'll be fine. I mean, it's it, they they might as well just say you know, chicken noodle soup nachos because yeah. it doesn't doesn't help no. anyone. And I actually think it's a dangerous thing to say to people. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Con- congratulations yeah. on being being mediocre. Right. Yeah. You know? it's like, like, right. Awesome. So, I mean, it's a, some awesome mediocrity you've got. Going yeah. On. So it's yeah. Well, and then and then take it one step further too. Kind of getting a little off uh, off topic, but you know, there's so many ways in life that you know we learn from our failures, right? Right. And that's that's truly where we learn the most. Unfortunately, when it comes to this particular transaction. Yeah. You can't afford to fail. Well, no, so, I, you know, you, you have to really be careful and, and try to absorb as many of the, 
you know, the, the resources, the advisors, the consulting that you're getting and see the red flags for what they are and, and rely on the people that, that can guide you. Because again, you, as you said, this is, this is a one transaction. I mean, we, we said, don't mess up your ones things first, you know, house right. spouse and practice. And what, if I do buyer coaching and then they say, you know, what are you going to do? I said, you're, you're engaging or working with me or paying me, whatever it is to not be invested in your life and mm-hmm. to tell you, Hey, from 30,000 feet or just from a zoom meeting or from say, there's some things in here I wouldn't do if I was in your scenario with your, and, and that's such great advice. You do it from a legal, legal perspective. And even, even the bank, and I, we were talking about that with the LOI portion, you know, you're in charge of protecting yourself and you're in charge of making your own decisions. But part of that is getting advice from people. And, you know, is this normal? And listening, attorney, and yeah, listening, listening, right. advice, yeah, listening right? like, you know, listening and say, my attorney says this is not so normal. Then the bank says they can't even fund the whole purchase deal. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that banks really want to help dentists, you know, so this is not normal. And then warning, <laughs> yeah, warning, yeah. And warning, then, warning. Then an accountant says uh, the cash flow is not acceptable. Right. But you have it's. Just, but I love this practice. You, you know, <laughs> so you're here. I, I love it, but I, I really love it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But I don't want to do love about it. I don't I don't want to seem uh, too hip and cool. Rob, but if you go on a date nowadays and you just don't text or call someone back, you uh, ghost them. They call it ghosting them, but you can't ghost a practice. You can't. You're stuck to it. So it's like, you know, I've used this, you know, I've used this with the finding a job is a lot like dating and, and the practice is the parenting thing. But these are things you can't return to practice or a right. child, right? So right. it's like, these are the things where they say, you know, Dennis will tell me if it doesn't work out, I'll do something uh, else. I go, yeah, this thing is attached to you like, like an anchor. Like think of those, think of a permanent, one of those things that you would walk kids around with right. on your wrist and the practice wrist yeah. that you can't cut mm-hmm. until it's been paid for. Mm-hmm. And even then, I mean, this is your livelihood. So, um, you know, it's, I think it's just, I'm, I'm glad we dig into something like an LOI for our listeners because it's, it's, it's much more exciting. Your job is much more exciting than I thought, Rob. Look, <laughs> you're not cutting teeth, putting fillings in. You're doing LOIs. And I, I, uh, I, I promised, Paul, that, yeah. Yeah, this would be a, a really an exciting conversation and, we and, had. Yeah, that's why, I mean, I, now I feel totally naive from the earlier days. It's like, why should a lawyer help you with an LOI? It's not about the binding or the non-binding. It's about all the things we talked about. Right. You know, how's the other person feel? Doesn't make sense. You're not going to give you know your four-year-old a LOI for ice cream, and it has nothing to do with the, you know, the the legal formality. It has to do with what makes sense. But you also point raise some good points where there could be things that hold the buyer's feet to the proverbial fire sure. that they could sign unknowingly. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and we'll talk about another issue with with uh, deposits in a moment, but. Yeah, Justin uh, Weaver and I had this conversation right before you walked in today that somebody was talking about the form of the agreement. And it's like, yeah, the form of the agreement is, is that's just, I wouldn't say it's a small part, but I guess it kind of is, yeah. or this, the form of the LOI. It's really about, you know, the, the dialogue and the understanding, the consulting and all the other stuff that goes with it. And I think a lot of times people just focus on how can I get the cheapest agreement possible? You yeah. can get the cheapest agreement. That's That's available. But... You know, it's uh, you know the cost of cheap is is sometimes very expensive. As and, we know. and before you did, I, I pre- I'm glad you said that because people have been asking me a lot. Like I'm Bob Barker, but I did like the Price Is Right. What should this cost? So I'm now getting tagged in Facebook posts from all over the groups saying, "Well, we'll ask Paul Goodman." Like I go supermarket shopping for advisors all the time, right? But I say this is the question, and it's really important. It could be for a lawyer, a dentist, a plumber, a travel agent. First, what is your experience in doing what I'm asking you to do? Who have you worked with? If you're the type of person, could I talk with someone you've worked with? And second, what does it cost? 
Right. They lead, they mess up the questions. Mm-hmm. Someone says, somebody, the, the favorite is the bookkeeping for offices. They say, I'm paying 800 bucks a book, month for bookkeeping. Is that expensive? And I'm like, I can make decisions based on a little bit of information, but I can't make one on that. <laughs> right. What are they doing? What do you right? get? Yeah. yeah. And they, they say, and then people start chiming in. It's too expensive. It's not too expensive. I pay $5,000. Yeah. It's also, I mean, you know, it's like, what's the heating bill for your house? Well, how big of a house do you have? Right. right. Well, I saw so, a post the other day. Yeah. And I can't remember. I don't know if it was Nachos or one of the other Facebook groups that somebody was going back and forth about how much. Actually, maybe it was Share Practices, yeah. which is an awesome uh, podcast, obviously, and, and uh, Facebook group. But somebody was asking how much money should you save to... Uh, or having the bank to be able to, to fund your transaction costs and your consulting fees and everything if you're buying a practice. And somebody just chimed in at one point like, well, somebody set up a whole DSO for me for $5,000. Like, well, that's an entirely different thing. <laughs> yes, you know? exactly. Like, it has nothing to do yeah, with this. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, it, but I, you know, you just, and, and it gets, you see that but, stuff. But it's, and, and even though I think it's fine, it's dangerous because it's like, if Daphne and Ella were at a candy store, Daphne said to Ella, how much candy should I eat? Ella said, you should eat all the candy. And Daphne said, thank you for that advice. <laughs> right, right. And I'm like, neither of you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've used this joke. If you're running a marathon for fun, ask your friends for some tips. If you're running a marathon for your financial future, hire some professionals yeah. who've coached a lot of marathon runners because uh, it's, it's, it's too dangerous. And, you know, I think that just kind of fits with our underlying theme. We don't get any good information on this. Yeah. And they're actually trying hard. You know, mm-hmm. as much as a joke, we, we're, we're really close to the inside of these things a lot. But we, the people who are, at least the Facebook groups, create a platform for conversation. Because right. if not, you just heard mm-hmm. from one guy that you don't need a lawyer for a practice deal at all, right? Right. And then you say, okay, I guess I won't use one. But it should be conversation, not advice. Yes, And, exactly. and there is a difference. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like it's that. It's about understanding yeah. the, you know, the sort of the dialogue and what the key words are and sort of what it's all about. Uh, it's just not the place to go to get advice. But again, we've talked about this before where it just amazes me when people give advice about non-competes or deal-specific things that, you know, it's impossible to know without knowing what state the people are in, what the agreement says, you know, what the factual circumstances are, but yet, you know, they're, they know. It's it's about asking the right questions too. You know, the the podcast is, we've had so many, interesting and cool guests where people say i i have spoiled guac bpo i want to drop it after i buy the practice and everyone says drop it don't drop it right. i always say this what is the percentage of practice that or your practice that spoiled guac bpo you cannot yeah. make that decision yeah. without that information right. um you were saying something about the nor deposit. should you nor should you give advice if you right. don't have that yeah, information. yeah i just yeah they're saying, they're saying right. drop it yeah you know, someone's saying break up with them who's the guy doesn't matter yeah. just break up with them yeah. right there, you know? would you please go speak to a cpa that <laughs> yeah, understands yeah, this right. world that that's yeah. the advice to, pro- to give to right? protect to protect yourself um you were saying mention something about the deposits rob for the loi portion how does that fit yeah in? so that's a funky thing that we see uh from time to time we talk about binding versus non-binding provisions then sometimes we'll have an LOI, even it's all together for the most part, certain things will say they're non-binding except for the no shop and the confidentiality. And then there's this $10,000 deposit. Whoa. Wow. What is that? Yeah. You know, who's holding it? What are the conditions to, to release it? If the, we, you know, if there's oftentimes no statement in that LOI as to what happens if the parties in good faith don't reach an agreement on the asset purchase. And, you know, an escrow situation like that is an involved thing in terms of who's responsible for that and what are, you know, what needs to happen to, to return the money. So, I mean, that's something that you have to be careful about. And a lot of times when, you know, people have 
I think this sort of expectation or understanding that there's going to be, stick with that example, $10,000 paid as a quote-unquote down payment, really what they mean is once we reach an agreement, there's going to be $10,000 deposit paid at the time we sign an asset purchase agreement. Because until you have that actual agreement, you have no idea what everybody's supposed to do. And then who's done the right thing or the wrong thing and what happens with that $10,000. And it's important, too, that people understand that even in a situation where that $10,000 deposit is provided for correctly or adequately under the law, once you separate from money, you may never see it. Right, yeah. So you can't just say, hey, this deal didn't close. I'm supposed to get my money back. Okay. Right. Now begins the process to get your money back. And, you know, depending on how much money it is, quite likely the cost to get it back are going to exceed that. So that's something that I think, you know, especially you know, to get back to what we're talking about, at what stage do should a lawyer be involved? A lot of times when people have already kind of crossed that line and agreed to that or signed an LOI and provided for that $10,000 deposit, it's like, wow, you really probably should have gotten more advice right, yeah. earlier about what the heck's happening with this money. And, you know, sometimes you know, people are kind of embarrassed when you say, and I'm using this $10,000 number, sometimes it's more, yeah. you know, um, what's the story with that 20 grand? Right, yeah. What, what do <laughs> yeah. you mean? I mean, who's... Who's holding it and when are they going to release it? Well, I think that they'll release it if we, uh, it doesn't say that here, you know, yep. so probably should have provided for that. You know? And so that that's a, a classic example of something that you have to be careful about. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fa- fantastic point and I wish, you know, I know we're working hard to do it. I would just like to infuse into the dental school educational process that it's normal to ask for advice because I will tell you being in the inside of dentists that People don't always not ask for advice because of money. They actually feel like they shouldn't. They should know it, even though they shouldn't. It's like if I said, "Could you just start speaking French?" And the whether it's a consultant for a startup, an attorney for an LOI, it's a consultant coach for your practice. It's it's actually humorous. And sometimes I say to them, "Oh, uh, did you ever uh, use a personal trainer in your life?" Like, "Oh yeah, f- five personal trainers." You play golf. Did you ever get a uh, anyone to help you with your swing? Like, "Oh yeah, That's ten people." Right. And then they, I say why would you think that you can deal with all your staff management problems while you're working on the patient? So, so, yeah. so they say, well, I don't need, it, need one of those consultants to, to rip me off. I go, uh, if you talk to most people who've engaged with advisors, they will tell you that the, the money was well worth it because they was life-changing you know, help they got at key points in their life. And I've used, I call myself like sometimes the practice doula when I do the buyer coaching, I'll right. be a doula because I'm at a key moment. I'm helping get to the next step and then passing on to the, the to the next person. And I just would like dental students and young dentists and new practice owners to think that it's totally normal. It's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a worthwhile expense to engage people to help you in these giant decisions you have. Yeah. And, and look, and this is this kind of goes back to what, you know, the show we did with uh, with Frank King, uh, the uh, the comedian, yeah, you awesome. know, that uh, those are the things that you know, dentists aren't trained to do, you know, in the first place. And those are the things that add the stress. So, you know, to, to their lives and to their practice. And so, geez, what better thing to outsource and get advice on the thing that you don't know, you haven't been trained on and give you the greatest stress and take it one step further could have most significant repercussions. Yeah. That's not the time to kind of like, like, 
go it alone. I just think, yeah, it's, it's just unfortunate that, that and he gives such great advice. And I use it maybe in a, a quote, start closing example that will be near and dear to, to a Philadelphia Eagles fan. If Carson Wentz ever gets back on the field, I hope he does because he seems like a good guy. But imagine they went to Carson Wentz, who's got just trying to play quarterback, and that's enough on his plate, right? Right. Uh, could you tell us what the next special teams play is, right? Yeah. He would say, I don't know anything about that. And, and he shouldn't. Right. And, and But a dentist, we say things like, you know, could you tell us about IT or this and that? And it's, it, I just would like, you know, your topic of the LOI is such a good one and such an important one, but it just sort of it shows the, the need for focused help in all of these areas so you can maximize your success, which is not only financial success. Right. It's, you know, personal success family success stress success um and uh i just think if you never think it's if you have a lot like eating habits and things like that if you don't start early knowing what's right you just never know no and and you know and too and as far as when the start of the process it also helps to make sure you're doing all of the other things that you need to do you know and and so it's not unusual where somebody will think that they are ready to sign an loi and they haven't even been introduced to a cpa you know and it's like whoa yeah Let's slow it down a little bit. Here's, you know, here's what you need to be doing. These are the other things that you should be talking, other people you should be talking to. These are the other things. And if you're not getting advice at that stage, you're just putting yourself in deficit and you're going to kind of go down the road that maybe the selling broker wants you to go down, but maybe isn't in your best interest. Right. And, you know, again, will you fail? Probably not. Yeah. But, you know, that's not why... Yeah, you know, what we say to ourselves when we leave the house every morning that we're as you yeah, said, not going to not not going to fail. Today I, I, will, I agree. Today will not be a failure. Yeah, and, and it's just like as the rep is like, it's not the selling broker's job to protect you. It's the selling broker's job to give you the good information so you can figure out if this is what you want for yourself, self too. I mean, you know, many sometimes I've uh, made an error at a store where I picked out a piece of clothing that was not fitting me, like, like you know, shoes. Ten, yeah, yeah, like those <laughs> shoes, and I just said, okay, I'll get different shoes, but you can't just get a different practice. So yeah. I think that's a great message. Cool. That's great. Always fun, Paul. Thanks, Rob. Awesome. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.